Good day, dear listeners. Uh, this is Steve Preda with the Management Blueprint podcast. And my guest today is Harsha Rajasima. Harsha is the founder and CEO of Jiva Informatics Solutions that offers a SaaS product that helps clinical researchers, CROs, and biotech sponsors accelerate remote patient recruitment. Jiva Informatics has received the Biosense Company of the Year Award and Harsha Rajasima was the co-recipient of the Sanofi Genzyme's Rare Diseases PAL Award. So Harsha, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Steve. It's exciting to have you. And uh, we don't have too many entrepreneurs from the healthcare space, although we had one recently. But I'm always excited when we can talk about something which is really topical. Uh, we'll, we'll touch upon COVID and vaccines and stuff like that. But let's start at the beginning. Harsha, how did you transition from an engineering scientist to entrepreneur? How does that even happen? Absolutely. It's uh, necessity is the mother of invention, as they say, right? So it's, uh, I was loving my job. I never felt like I had a job in, as a data scientist trained with uh, genetics and bioinformatics background. And uh, my work at National Institutes of Health and FDA were highly impactful. And I was really passionate about what I was doing. That included analyzing, you know, genetic sequence data from people and animals, and deriving insights out of that. Uh, in 2012, uh, I had a personal experience of a child born in our family with a rare disease that we lost very soon. And you know, three years ago, I had younger brother that I lost to a chronic disease that was very uh, moving for me, and I wanted to do something in that chronic and rare disease space and that really moved uh, you know transitioned me out of that passion and uh, personal story that you know I decided to do everything in my hands to accelerate therapies for patients who need rare diseases and uh, you know treatments for their disease irrespective of their geographic location you know because most of the clinical trials happen within 50 mile radius you see the united states map in my background uh-huh. uh, you know where the hubs are for clinical trials right so you see boston chicago and major areas and what about the rest of, uh, of the country that's in dark right and think about the rest of the world that that's yeah. even more darker than what we are seeing in here on this map. So uh, I I think with digital revolution that has unfolded in front of us and with the pandemic, it's become very obvious uh, now. But, you know, when we started this journey eight years ago, it was uh, still very early days and the pandemic has now accelerated quite a bit as well. So that's how I had to transition doing discovery on a computer to entrepreneur, getting out of the building, listening to people, you know, uh, ultimately it's solving people's problem. So how did you just basically pull the plug? You you resigned from your job and you walked across the street and started a company? Absolutely. That's exactly what I did. And my company CEO was shocked. They were like, Harsha, we support you. You know, if you really think, you know, we don't, we want you to take some time. Don't make an emotional decision. But if this is really what you want to do, we will support you. And, and I've received support from many, many friends, family, and many investors who put money in the company so far. It's been a wonderful journey so far, but we still have a long way to go. Yeah, that's an amazing story. And uh, kind of, uh, I had a similar experience walking across the street. I didn't resign of my own accord, but it turned out to be the best thing that happened to me. And, uh, you know, I started my company right after that. But, the, you know, my former employer didn't uh, offer to, to fund my new venture. 
that's that's kind of another difference. But anyway, going back to this topic of building this company, and uh, you basically it was a startup company, right? And and you said you received some investor money. So one of the things that we told a little bit about in the pre-interview, these management blueprints, and you mentioned one of these, which is the startup owner's manual. Uh, Steve Blank helped you along the journey. Can you speak a little bit about that and uh, how it helped you? Absolutely. You know, I was uh, th- when I started the company, I was thinking of when can I start building the product, right? It's a software product. And I thought I needed to find money and software engineers and start building the product. <laughs> and uh, it, that would have been the biggest mistake if I had done that in retrospect. Fortunately, I met uh, Bob Smith, who is now on our advisory board. And Bob has been a mentor at, for the National Science Foundation in training technology and scientific entrepreneurs, you know, on transitioning into the business world, uh, particularly the venture-backed startups, right? So uh, his thing was, who is your target customer? Who is going to buy it? Who is going to use, who are the end users? Who are your saboteurs? And I I didn't have answers to many of those questions. So he said, it'll benefit you greatly if you went through a two-week program uh, at the George Mason University Small Business Development Center. And I had nothing to lose. You know, it was a free program uh, offered by the state of Virginia and uh, uh, it it was educational. So I I went through that and uh, we were asked to do 20 interviews uh, with customers, uh, real customers, uh, face to face. uh, And this was in 2018. So in-person meetings were still allowed. (laughs) So we we did 20 meetings in uh, two weeks and then we were referred to the National Science Foundation on a national level where they invited us to participate in a seven-week program where we were challenged to interview 100 customers and validate who, why would they buy Jiva, uh, if at all, and what is the problem that this would solve or not solve, and what would be their about buying Jiva. What are they doing right now, today? You know, It's not like they are not trying. This is a 70-year-old industry and clinical trials have been run for 100 years and randomized controlled clinical trials have been run for since 1950s. And so what kind of tools and solutions are they using today and why would they buy Jiva, right? So, and that was very eye-opening for me. And without understanding all that, if we had developed a product hoping that somebody will buy it and that's the biggest reason why most companies fail as we know 99% of the small businesses fail right uh, they don't see there is some staggering statistic like that right so 90 95% don't live 3 years or more and or 9 5 years or more something like that 90% yeah it's about yeah. like 89 and a half yeah so i'm i'm glad uh, uh, we are close to the third anniversary and we we, we have enough uh, runway to survive the third year anniversary so that's <laughs> we would have minimized our risk of uh, failing you're improving the statistics yes so that, that's awesome so so tell me a little bit about so it, clearly the customer discovery process to make sure you understand what the customer wants so you can tell your product that's a big uh, idea and it's a big uh, important thing anything else from this startup owner's manual and I have it on my desk. You know, yeah, I, I ordered it as soon as we spoke about it. Anything else that comes to mind that you would like to mention that you kind of used the idea or the process 
uh, in your business. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So the uh, startup manual that you just pointed out has something called business model canvas, right? So, and there are nine components in the business model. Mm -hmm. The two biggest ones are problem uh, areas or pain points and value propositions, right? And uh, what's the, uh, who are the customer segments? Mm -hmm. So uh, we, for example, sell to biotech companies, pharmaceutical companies, medical device companies, hospital sites, nonprofit academic medical centers, each customer has their own set of pain points and own set of value propositions mm -hmm. and their criteria to choose a solution is very different uh, you know the nonprofit side cost is the number one criteria on the pharmaceutical side the compliance regulatory compliance is the number one criteria so you, you need to know your customer each segment uh, and understand where to focus on first and how do you prioritize and rank them and then there is other seven boxes right where you need to know your customer channels how do you get to your customers who are your partners what are the key resources you would need to execute on this vision what are the cost uh, items uh, or you know what, where do you need to spend money to get the product done and get to the market and what are your revenue streams where is the money going to flow into the business from so getting a well-rounded understanding of these nine components of the business model is really was eye-opening for me right like I had really not uh, coming as a computer science engineer major out of college and as a computer science master's and genetics PhD I never had any exposure to business model canvas uh, and the exercise and, and more importantly while the book that we have from Steve Blank provides a blueprint it's really what it says is get out of the building and listen to the customers right uh, and that's something we never do in our grad school <laughs> so and, and nor did i do as a scientist at nih right so we we are more reading the scientific literature and driven by science which is where uh, this entire field of clinical trials is grounded in science and medicine but ultimately it's human beings that uh, solve or overcome these problems and barriers so we, yeah. we have to listen to these human beings yeah, that's that's so critical, and and thank you for explaining this. And the business model canvas is a really good tool. I, I recommend to our listeners as well to check it out. So uh, switching gears here, one of the things that they recently heard, and I was kind of shocked by it, was that the modern and maybe that's incorrect. So please correct me if it's not not accurate. But what I heard was that the Moderna vaccine was basically ready in March. But it took another six to eight months for for the FDA to give its approval and for it to really be useful and people to be able to have access it. Is this true? And if this is true or this is remotely true, <laughs> uh, what is slowing down this process? Why does the FDA? And I know this is super fast, but why did they even need the six to eight months to approve it uh, the the vaccine when the whole world was waiting for it? I'm so glad you're asking this question because that's a big myth uh, for some people still, and I'm surprised. It's because six to eight months is amazingly fast, right? So this is the fastest ever any vaccine has ever been approved by mankind, right? Period. So it can't get any faster than this, <laughs> in the sense people are questioning how, how did FDA get this approval done within six to eight months, right? So it's the question is the other way around because historically a vaccine from when it is discovered to get a regulatory approval takes six to eight years, not months. 
And so the, getting it done in this phenomenal record breaking time frame is absolutely super fast. And, and I'll tell you why. The making a vaccine in a laboratory is very uh, much faster, right? Now, get testing it on animals to make sure it doesn't kill any uh, animals that, that have very similar genetic makeup as human beings is the first prerequisite, right? So you have to uh, grow mice in the lab and treat them with the vaccine and see that they don't develop any significant adverse events. And then to get into humans, you have to start with the lowest possible dose that even if it were having any adverse events, it would be extremely minimal. So that in the first iteration itself, it's not going to go kill the human being, even if it were not safe, it would show mild side effects. And then so you gradually increase the dosing, so that even at moderate doses, it, it's still not, you know, causing any, uh, so safety is very critical. And then you test for efficacy, you know, uh, is it really working or not? Uh, but number one thing is do no harm, right? So mm -hmm. that's the, in the clinical world, doing no harm is half the good you have done already. <laughs> so if you can even do a little bit of good, then that's significant without doing any harm. Yes. So it's a balance between uh, risk and benefit uh, that, that is weighed uh, in by FDA, right? So now, uh, yes, if, maybe the Moderna vaccine was ready in March, but it had to be tested, right? And the testing period is what takes six to seven years, um, typically. Phase one, phase two, phase three. And it, for vaccines, the safety standards are extremely high because you are giving vaccine to a healthy individual, like the general population. They have no problem, right? Now they have not been infected by COVID, you're still injecting some foreign substance. So it has to be tested and tested over a long period of time to see after giving vaccine, this person is either not developing severe symptoms of COVID, even if exposed to the virus, if they develop severe symptoms, they are not uh, dying because of vaccine, uh, uh, you know, with the vaccine versus without vaccine, right? So they have to compare the population that was vaccinated versus the population that was not vaccinated. And it has to be done in a controlled fashion. And, and so that doing, getting that done in six to eight months is phenomenal. Okay. All right. So, so maybe this is a misdirected question. What and I understand. And now that you explained it, I, I never thought about the incre increasing the dose. I actually was wondering why phase one was even allowed when there's so much risk. But yes, the dose is small, so that's going to take time to to uh, to increase it. So, what about uh, what we spoke about last time, which was the patient enrollment? So, how how important is patient recruitment? Sounds like. In the uh, COVID case, there probably was an exception. It was not an issue and all the patients were available. But, you know, you told me that uh, this is a big issue, patient enrollment. It's hard to involve patients and that slows the process down. So tell us a little bit about why that is an issue and, and you know, and, and how it can be overcome. Absolutely. So, you know, the first step in uh, human clinical trials is finding the right patients who match the inclusion exclusion criteria for a given clinical trial, right? As we know, the initial recipients of vaccine were uh, elderly population, and then it was the adult population uh, in the middle age, um, you know, and then the pediatric, right? And we are still not gone below 12 years of age or, so that's usually typically how it, it goes. And now you have to find people who meet the eligibility criteria 
and uh, then uh, once you identify them the second step is enrolling them into the study historically patients were expected to travel in person to a hospital site to participate you know get the vaccine injected and then they have to show up every week or every month and you know get tested for covid have they been uh, now uh, infected or not and then they have to uh, report any adverse events that they experience uh, over a period of time now all of that was done in in person visits to the hospital during covid obviously in person visits were not possible and so uh, significant uh, allowances were made by fda and other regulatory agencies where patients could uh, report it from their home on a uh, smartphone or an app and the researchers could call the patient on their phone and talk to them and do remote assessments and so that was very still relatively new you know while some of that has been done even in the last 15 20 years the entire process of doing most of the clinical trial remotely is still relatively new and was not as well accepted during covid pandemic like that became now what that's that's what enabled uh, that fda to approve the drug uh, vaccine in 6 to 8 months right so very fast now can we scale that to all diseases for all types of drugs not just vaccines and you know many other disease areas and age groups that's really what my vision is and uh, you know the vision that i started way before the pandemic but um, now got really accelerated because of the pandemic in terms of regulatory frameworks making allow allowance for that and the customers being more brave and willing to take a risk and adopt this because this is in the best interest of patients uh, we in, in the clinical trial space we talk about patient centricity right and customers want to do everything that's in the best interest of the patients so when we spoke with 2000 stakeholders of clinical trials they said patient enrollment is the biggest problem uh, because you know we we have uh, we don't have a database where we can query and find out all the matching patients and if we do find them we we are not able to reach them through you know, digital social channels by email uh, you know spam anti spam laws were there and uh, are still there right and for good reason and there are uh, you know phone uh, spamming and all those other things so they need a, a regulated framework but also tools that are compliant with these regulatory frameworks so that they can contact and enroll patients remotely mm-hmm. and that's is this exactly, what jiva does that's exactly what jiva does is democratize that and make it as fast for you know uh, in rare diseases for example there are 7000 rare diseases only 5% of them have any fda approved treatment 95% do not have any treatment and so if, uh, they can all benefit greatly if what we did to the covid vaccine trial in 6 to 8 months if we can find a treatment for a rare disease that's huge that that can save lives yeah that's awesome so how much can you accelerate this patient enrollment and my follow on question is that if you get this to the maximum what's going to be the next bottleneck that there need to be a result to great make question. the process even faster. Yeah, great question. You know, uh, you know, it's been long known that patient enrollment is a huge problem in clinical trials. It's nothing new necessarily, but we understood the nitty gritty detail as we got out of the building and listened to customers. They said, you know, uh, patients have to take time off their work. Uh, patients have to find daycare for their children if they have to go into a clinical trial site. 
patients may have to travel long distance, even aeroplane travel. And if they have special needs, uh, you know, they have to get someone to go with them to uh, these uh, sites uh, and so on. So there's like a lot of logistical burden in involved in getting to the site, patient to the site. And that often weighs them down, right? When they think of, you know, can you go to Boston every Monday or every other Monday to participate in a clinical trial for five years? You know, uh, how many people are brave enough to say yes, right? So if, if it is uh, something they say, you know, you only travel once in a quarter or twice a year, and rest of the time you can participate from your app, that's a lot more, uh, you know, fits within the patient's lifestyle. So that's what we um, mapped as a fit, you know, between the product and the problem uh, where the market was. Uh-huh. And so what's going to be the next step? So you you accelerate, you you have everyone remote uh, that's going to, you know, accelerate it three times, four times, whatever. What's going to be the next uh, bottleneck? And is this something that Jiva maybe can could tackle in the future? Absolutely. So we are focused on, uh, you know, after we get through the enrollment, uh, we think at least three times, right? So out of, say, 100 patients that match the criteria for a trial, only 97% of them uh, um, do not enroll uh, in the clinical trial, only 3% enroll. Mm -hmm. So now if, with uh, Jiva, if we can increase that from 3% to 9%, that's already three times acceleration. Because now with Jiva, they don't have to travel every single time. The, the burden is reduced significantly. Yeah. So after that, it's keeping them in the trial, right? So 30% of the patients after enrolling, they drop out during the course of a trial. You know, six months, eight months. Some of these trials are multiple years, three years, five years like that. So patients uh, lose interest and they, the burden, they feel the burden more as they go through the pain more. So they end up dropping out. So that uh, retaining patients in the trial throughout the trial is very important because if someone drops out after two years, now there is incomplete data and they cannot convince the FDA that you know we have enough data and evidence to uh, prove the safety and efficacy. So uh, that's the second problem is retention of patients. The third is, did the patients actually adhere to the protocol, right? So if the protocol says you have to take this medicine uh, once daily, uh, every single day, uh, are, are they actually taking it or not? Uh, how many days are they forgetting the medication? Uh, and uh, if they forget, obviously the drug has no chance to yeah. show its effectiveness. That would be the third problem. And, and there is a long list of uh, issues uh, in clinical trials that we are going to tackle, <laughs> uh, but those are the top three. So you are just at the beginning of a long journey with Jiva and you have plenty of problems to solve. You don't have to worry about you running out of problems and, and essentially uh, your work is done. Absolutely. So that's awesome. So let's switch a little bit uh, to, the, uh, to the business side of things. Jiva is a SaaS product, right? It's a software as a service. And software as a service companies are very, you know, are apparently very difficult to get off the ground. We, so many, so, we so, see so many companies that never get off the ground, that get funding, but then they fizzle out. So what do you feel are the, the three uh, success factors for a SaaS company to be, be able to break through and, and gain traction? Yeah, you know, SaaS may not always be the right solution for uh, all types of uh, businesses and industries. So you need to really uh, listen to your customers um, and make that determination. Even in our case, 
you know, SaaS may not necessarily be the right fit for all our customer segments, right? So SaaS has its biggest advantage of being highly scalable and uh, it, it's centralized uh, and it's a subscription base, right? So it helps convert a capital expenditure for the customer into an operating expense uh, so that they can only pay as they use the product or service uh, on an ongoing basis. So that's the biggest advantage. Now, the biggest disadvantage for some customers is that all the data stores uh, is stored on the centralized server. And so the data privacy, all that concern, whether who owns the uh, access to the data, is it secure, is it encrypted, all that kind of um, information becomes critical. So usually SaaS companies have to maintain a checklist of uh, you know, hundreds of uh, criteria that the customers uh, are looking for. And, mm -hmm. and that's pretty uh, daunting uh, for beginners. Uh, <laughs> that, that's something you need to be prepared for. Uh, but in, in general, uh, to get it to succeed, you know, one pricing is an issue you, 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 because you are changing a enterprise software license model to a cloud-based software subscription model. Mm -hmm. So uh, say something which costs $100,000 per year as a pay one time per year software license, you have all 100 features loaded in the product, for example, and the customer only wants 20 features. They still have to pay 100,000 because they are buying the entire product. Uh, in SaaS, if you do modularity, you, you know, the customer can only get the specific modules that they really need, and they don't have to pay the full 100,000 and not upfront, and they would have paid maybe 20,000 or 30,000 over the period of time if they only use small percentage of the mm -hmm. uh, overall software. So, there is a lot to consider uh, when you're building the SaaS uh, and you know, including which cloud platform do you get on, right? Uh, there is uh, Amazon, uh, Microsoft, and Google all competing in that market. And there's pros and cons in uh, all of them. So <laughs> which one would you uh, build on the foundation and uh, so on and so forth? Is there a, a resource, a book that you can recommend for entrepreneurs who are considering uh, turning a business into a subscription model, uh, some kind of a SaaS service that is your go-to? Sure. Um, there is a book. Um, let me see. Not finding it. Not finding it here. But it's called uh, the Platform Revolution. Uh, is one book I would recommend. Mm -hmm. Platform Revolution. Okay. Yeah. Well, sorry for putting you on the spot, but I couldn't resist getting your advice on this. Absolutely. No, there's a number of good good books, but. Platform Revolution essentially points out how, you know, starting with Jeff Bezos, how he moved his book business, selling books in a bookstore to an online uh, bookstore and then scaling that. Uh, and that's that's a platform. And then he converted that into a marketplace, right? So it's now buyers and sellers uh, became a marketplace and a platform. Um, so having that type of platform uh, is revolutionary uh, and it, it's, happening right now in in front of our eyes many times we may not realize mm -hmm. yeah marketplaces are a big trend as well so what about for jiva if you look ahead five to ten years i mean if you're raising money then for sure your investors will be asking for your vision uh where can you take this company what is your vision for uh for jiva where are you going to be in five years yeah, uh, I, my vision is uh, really to make Jiva a human-centric 
platform, right? So technology is not the limiting factor. There is so much of technology out there, number of products, you know, the number of apps in the app store, there's no shortage of any of those things. Um, but what's needed is real focus on the customer who and recognizing the that that customer is a human and getting that uh, to not just biotech, pharmaceutical, medical devices, which can bring life-saving therapies to patients faster. Uh, but also in, in the long term, there is opportunity to uh, make it more widely accessible for public health, you know, uh, ability to uh, monitor and perform surveillance uh, over uh, the population scale. That, that would be my, uh, you know, long-term vision. Wow, okay, that's a pretty big vision. That sounds like a unicorn. Uh, by the time that you fulfill that vision, Jiva is going to be a billion-dollar company, right? Uh, absolutely. This is an enormous marketplace. It's a well, sixteen billion. Uh, it's a sixteen billion market for e-clinical solutions, uh, and if we achieve one percent to five percent of the market share in the next five years, uh, we will be at one hundred and fifty-seven million to eight hundred million annual revenue in five years from now. So you just have to round it up, and you're at a billion. That's yep. uh, that's pretty exciting. So thank you, thank you for sharing all that. So if the listeners would like to learn more about Jiva and about uh, these kind of technologies and where the industry is trending, how can they connect with you or where can they reach information from your sources? Uh, absolutely, I'm, I'm uh, relatively easy to find on LinkedIn uh, with my name, uh, Harsha Rajasimha, uh, on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, uh, most of the social channels and the company information you can find on jivatrials.com, uh, J-E-E-V-A-T-R-I-A-L-S, jivatrials.com. Okay, well, definitely, listeners, check uh, out Harsha. He's got lots of inform, uh, interesting information and where he's taking uh, his business and helping essentially our healthcare system to be much more efficient and fast and get the future vaccines out quicker so that we don't have to uh, suffer so much, hopefully, uh, if, if that happens again. So thank you, uh, Harsha, for coming on our show. I really enjoyed uh, talking with you and learning a little bit about the startup and the startup owner's manual, which is another blueprint uh, here, uh, Steve Blank and Bob Dorf. So thanks for bringing that. Thank, thanks for bringing the business model canvas, which is an important concept. And thanks for bringing um, a little bit of information of, about SaaS companies and the platform revolution that you recommended. And do check out Harsha Rajasima's LinkedIn profile and, and jivatrias.com is probably the easiest one to, to Google. Thank you so much for having me, Steve. And this is a, you know, a very important time in the journey of uh, my entrepreneurial life. And uh, we are in the middle of a, a seed financing round. Uh, so far, we have raised... Uh, close to 1.4 million and we have produced enormous results and we are seeing uh, we are at the cusp of a breakthrough uh, right now so uh, invite uh, anyone uh, any of the audience or uh, listeners uh, to reach out if they like to be part of our journey and be part of us uh, our team thank you yes and, and hopefully we'll look back in five years on this podcast as uh, the one that made many people into multimillionaires by investing in in, in your company so, so thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review the Management Blueprint Podcast on Apple Podcast or subscribe on YouTube. We'd love to have you, your comments and your your uh, your presence, and you know, accessing all the future episodes as well, and seeing you on the show. 
Have a great day. And thank you, Harsha Rajasima, the founder and CEO of Jiva Information Informatics Solutions. Thanks for, uh, for joining me today. Thank you, Steve. Have a good one.